Hey friends, welcome back to Real Talk with Rachel. I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert, and I am grateful and honored that you've chosen to tune in today. This show is a safe place you can come to hear relevant, engaging, and authentic topics to help you get real, live free, and pursue your God-given dreams. Today's episode is brought to you by Joymail, the monthly newsletter I release that's full of resources that deliver a little joy and practical action steps into your inbox and life. To sign up, simply head to rachelgilbert.com, click the Start Here tab, and sign up for the newsletter right there. I am thrilled to introduce you to today's guest as he happens to be the president of the university that you guys hear me talk about all the time, where I'm currently getting my master's in marriage and family therapy. I am in my final year here, and it's kind of a bittersweet thing because I have loved my time at the King's University, but I'm also really excited about the fact that I'm almost done. Dr. John Chastine is the president of the King's University and lead pastor of Victory Church, a multi-campus church based out of Oklahoma City. He's passionate about empowering and equipping the local church through the preparation of Christ-like servant leaders. Dr. Chastine desires to lead DKU's faculty and administration with transparency and authenticity. Prior to arriving at TKU in 2018, His experience included seven years of pastoral leadership and six years of administrative leadership in Christian higher education. Dr. Chastine has three earned degrees, including a doctor of education from Oral Roberts University, and he and his wife, Michelle, are blessed to enjoy their life with their two children, Corey and Jace. Today, we're discussing his new book, Half the Battle. Oh my goodness, you guys, you know I get a lot of books, this book was so good. And this conversation that I had with Dr. Chastine was powerful. And I know you're going to love it. So let's jump right in and meet my friend, Dr. John Chastine. Well, hello, Dr. Chastine, and welcome to my show. I'm excited to have you here today. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be on it. Yeah. So, you know, my listeners for the last two years, they've been used to hearing me say, well, guys, I'm in grad school and I'm learning this, that and the other. So now (laughs) you guys get to meet actually today, the president of my grad school at the King's University. Tell us a little bit about how you kind of got started uh, there, the university. Yeah. So first off, we're proud of you. We're proud that you're that you're a student and a future alumnus. But, you know, I I had higher higher ed background. Uh, When I first got out of college, I became a vice president of a university in Oklahoma City and then did that for about seven and a half years. And then I became a pastor and I began pastoring a church in Oklahoma City. And I thought that I was done with higher ed. I I just fell in love with pastoring. And I did that for about seven years again. And, And then I got a call from the King's University and they said, hey, we want you to come down here and be the president of the university. And I was like, I'm flattered, but I'm really enjoying being a pastor. <laughs> and uh, I've always loved higher ed, but I fell in love with the local church. And so they actually said, well, we want you to do both. So that blew my mind, but I ended up doing both. So now I'm the president of the King's University in, in South Lake in the Dallas-Fort Worth metro area. And then I still pastor a church in Oklahoma City called Victory Church. So it's a very interesting season of my life, to say the least. Wow. Wow. I love that. And, you know, one thing that I personally love as a student at the Kings is just that I still don't really know what I will do with my degree. I'm kind of, you know, the Lord will, I think, open that door as it comes. But at the very least, it has absolutely 
prepared me for what I do and even made me better at what I do as a podcaster and a speaker already, you know, yeah. so I'm already leaning yeah. front. So I absolutely love being a student there. And I'm always telling people when they reach out and say, hey, what do you, you know, what do you think? I'm like, yes, you just, if you're even thinking about going to the Kings, you need to just go uh, if God's putting that on your heart. But today I'm actually talking to you about your first book called Half the Battle. Before yeah. we get into it, though, I do have one question for you that if I forget to ask, my listeners always, you know, they call me out on it. I, <laughs> I have to ask every guest, what's one random fact about you that I didn't read in your professional bio? I, I played college basketball and my knees are shot. So now I have to ride bikes. <laughs> so that's the, the really the way that I have to get my exercise now is, is by riding bikes. So I love to go out and ride bikes. I love to I love to do that. So don't run me off the road if, if you're out there on the roads. That'd be great. <laughs> hey, my husband and I are we love to cycle as well. I do road yeah, biking yeah. with him. Yeah. He's real yeah. into mountain biking. I have not gotten uh, into mountain. So we need to meet. I need to meet this guy because I used to do mountain biking a lot and I, I need a partner in mountain biking. So oh, he I'll would love that because he's always trying to talk me into it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I think I'll uh, just, to, he comes back bloody out. and you know, all the things. And I'm like, <laughs> That's I'll, right. I'll stick to the road. I'm good. I do have my boundaries. So yeah. That's okay. Right. That's right. Well, I love that. All right. So your book, Half the Battle, I personally am just thrilled about this book. You know, I kind of told you before we started recording that I get a lot of books in the mail and a lot of great books in the mail. But yeah. the the second I picked up your book in the mail, I mean, the bold back that says, where have you put your pain? So my my degree at the Kings is marriage and family therapy. And that's a big part of what we're learning about in my program is all the things that kind of, you know, hold people back and the pain and the different things. And so I'm thrilled to see you talk about this from a biblical yeah. perspective. And I even love the first line you said, do you ever feel the pressure to hide your struggles in order to look like a good Christian? Yeah. How about we all raise our hand and just confess <laughs> yeah. that right now, you know? So yeah. I would love for you to talk about your heart behind this book. Yeah. You know, this book really is like most books is a labor of love, but it, it really come out of this idea that as a pastor, I just started seeing more and more people I kind of have the shame, you know, and and shame is one of the greatest weapons of the enemy. It keeps us down because we feel like we don't belong. It feels like we're not we we're not living up to the standard of what it means to be a Christ follower. And it really came out of this idea of the children of Israel leaving leaving Egypt and going all the way up to the banks of the Jordan River. And we know that they go into the promised land and all they do is fight. Like they get into the promised land and God tells them, you have to possess the land. You have to take it. You have to drive out the inhabitants of the land. And so getting to the banks of the Jordan River was a battle. Yeah, it was tough getting there, but it was only half the battle. And going into the battle was going to be another battle. But, um, I, you know, and although Jericho was a battle, although AI was a battle, they went on to conquer the northern kingdoms and the southern kingdoms. I came across this verse that I'll share that showed me that I think the hardest battle they ever fought was on the banks of the Jordan River. And I, and I saw this journey of this process that God took them through on the banks of the Jordan River before they ever went to fight a battle in the natural. They had to fight a battle on the inside. And I think it's a battle that we all have to face too. So God takes them across the Jordan River. In chapter 5, God challenges them to circumcise themselves which is an awkward conversation, obviously, but it's, you have to, the symbolism of that, you know, it was a sign of the covenant from Abraham. 
And so they had wandered through the wilderness and this was the next generation, obviously. So they hadn't been circumcised. And before they ever went to battle, God wanted to remind them of who they were. And something really fascinating happens at the end of that. In Joshua chapter five, verse nine, God told Joshua, he says, today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And I've read that verse a hundred times. And for some reason, this time I read it and it just shocked me because it says today I've removed reproach, which is shame and scorn. If you look at that word in the Hebrew, it means shame. And God's saying today I've removed the shame of Egypt from you. Now keep in mind, these people never even went to eat. They've never even been in Egypt. They've never felt the sting of a whip on their back ever. Their parents did, but they've carried the shame of slavery with them. And so God's saying, I removed you from the, from the slavery, but slavery remains in you. And God just began to show me that there's so many people who, you know, the divorce was 30 years ago. And, and God has removed them from the pain of the divorce. But for some reason, divorce remains inside of us, you know, and maybe somebody was physically abused or sexually abused when they were a child. And we've been removed out of the danger of that situation. But for some reason, it remains inside of us. And so I just kind of went on this journey of studying that verse. And it says that they were in Gilgal. And so anytime in scriptures that it tells you the name of a city, you want to see what the, the meaning of that city is. Well, the meaning of that city is a circular stone. And that for some reason, that just led me to, I thought to myself, well, what other moments in scripture was there a circular stone? Well, we know Jesus obviously rolled the stone away, but it reminded me of Lazarus. And that Jesus went up to Mary and Martha and said, roll the stone away so that I can resurrect Lazarus, right? And so I begin to see the similarities between Mary and Martha and what Jesus led them through and what he wants to lead us through. Cause Jesus disappointed Mary and Martha. He, they sent for Jesus to come and heal their brother Lazarus. He doesn't do it. He comes four days later and they're thinking, well, Jesus, he's, we've seen him heal hundreds of people. Surely he'll heal his best friend Lazarus, but he doesn't, he doesn't. So they're disappointed. They're frustrated. They're rejected by the one that they love. And I begin to see the symbolism of what they did with their pain. They took their pain, they shoved it in a dark place, and they rolled a stone in front of it. And this is what we do with our pain. We take our pain, and we don't want to deal with it because it hurts. It's, it's a struggle. So we just shove it. We compress it way down deep into the recesses of our hearts. And Jesus wants to come, and in the same way he, he challenged the Israelites to circumcise themselves, he challenges us to circumcise our hearts because in the New Testament, it's not about circumcision of the flesh. It's about a circumcision of the heart. And so it's a book about the journey of God taking us through the same journey he took Mary and Martha through, of dealing with the pain, taking Jesus to the pain, being willing to roll the stone away and expose the stench because it stinks, it hurts, it's infected, it's disgusting. And, um, you know, Jesus says, roll the stone away. And Mary and Martha are like, Jesus, there's a stench. He's been dead for four days. And so it's this stench that we carry that we just shove it down deep. And it's just a process of how God takes us through that. You know, it, it's a, it's a heavy book. It's a deep dive. My undergrad's in psychology. So I'm with you. I'm fascinated by this. Now, it's not five ways to victory. It's not seven ways to, you know, it's not the typical blessed book, you know, that people want to read, but it's, it's one that I believe will really take you through a process of healing. So. 
Yeah. Oh, this is so good. And you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about, I really wish I could remember which professor said this because I would give them credit for it, but it has stuck with me for so long. I mean, the last few years, uh, she said that God brings things up because they're on their way out. And whenever I envision that, I think about, for example, when you eat something that's gone bad and it doesn't sit well with your stomach, it, you throw it up, right? Well, that's uncomfortable. I mean, nobody like. I mean, I it's cry when normal. I throw up, you know, <laughs> like, it's not fun. Nobody likes yeah. that. And so most of us would rather that funk just stay in our stomach and ruin the rest of our body than to throw it up, right? Like, if really, if we could choose, even though that's the stupid choice, that's what we would choose because it's the comfortable choice. And so I'm so glad that you're bringing this up. So aside from the discomfort of stopping and actually addressing the pain, what do you think are the other things that keep people from doing the hard work, you know, of yeah. letting some of that stuff come up? Well, one thing that, that kind of goes with what you said, there's a quote that I have in the book and it kind of explains even what keeps it from coming up. I love, I love C.S. Lewis. I think he's obviously one of the great theologians. And he said this, this statement, he said, we can ignore even pleasure but pain insists upon being attended to. And I, and I love, I love that idea. It says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. Mm. It's his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. And so I love that quote. I think we try to cover up our pain by pleasures. And those are the whispers of us trying to figure out how to live our life, but it's always there. I actually have an entire chapter on rejection. And I think rejection is where the enemy gets us. It's like his greatest sneak attack secret weapon where he comes and just plants little seeds of rejection. It can be, it could be a simple, my, my wife tells this story. My wife has a great relationship with her dad, but it's a great example. She, she, she has this vivid memory of when she was like six or seven years old and she was going to go out with her dad somewhere and he was going to like take her on a daddy daughter date. And so she went in the bathroom and she fixed her hair and she combed her hair and got all primped up and ready. And she comes out to meet her dad and her dad says, aren't you going to fix your hair? Mm. So she remembers that vividly. And it's just a, it's just a picture of when somebody that loves us or we expect to receive us, rejects us, whether it's through a statement or a, or inappropriate touch, or if your boss fires you when you've worked at a company for 20 years, these little seeds of rejection bury themselves in our heart. And, and really most addictions, most problems, most issues that we face that we're trying to overcome, if we'll peel the layer of the onion back far enough, you'll find that it's a root that's causing the fruit. And so part of this book is just trying to take that deep dive to find, okay, at what point in my life did I come into an agreement with a lie that the devil told me? And one of my good friends, Carlos Whitaker, wrote a book called Kill the Spider. And it's a very similar idea. Like, when did I come into agreement with a lie? It's like if you go down in a basement and every day and there's a web, a cobweb there and every day you clean the cobweb up and every, every day you go back down there and the cobweb's back, it's because you didn't kill the spider. And we can spend all the time we want cleaning up the cobwebs of our life, but if we never find out what the spider is and kill it, that cobweb will never go away. So, yeah. Oh man. And I can confirm too what you're saying about the the root and the fruit. You know, one of my I have a couple practicum sites and one of my practicum sites is an eating disorder center. 
And when mm-hmm. I was talking with the lead therapist about what is a common thing that you guys see and the, the ladies who come in here with eating disorders and they said trauma, trauma is a really wow. big like a, a thing. And so yeah. it, like you said, there's always something that's causing, you know, the, the fruit of what's coming to, to light. And so I'm curious, yeah. by the way, I love that kill the spider illustration. That's so, it's a great book. I love that I, visuals really help me. I, I see pictures mm-hmm. of things very easily. So somebody's listening today and they're going, okay, yeah, sign me up. I want to get the roots out. Like, how do they do that? Yeah. What's a, What's a practical step for them to do that? Well, kind of the journey I take them through in the book is I focus on this rejection and you coming and determining and discovering where did that happen? What was the rejection? Was it a a mother who should have loved you, denied you love? Was it a father who should have protected you, uh, abused you? It's some sort of rejection. Many, many times it's a, it's a moment of rejection and the, the epiphany or the the process that God took me through, it really started with a sermon I preached. I, I preached this sermon one time called The Stench Behind the Stone. And it was that whole process we talked about. And I people flooded the altars at my church. Like it, it kind of freaked me out. I was like, oh my gosh, two thirds of the church just came to the altar weeping. And the next day I, got, I started getting over overwhelmed with emails like, John, you exposed the pain. I found it. And then overwhelmingly, the question was, what do I do with it? Like, thanks a lot, John, that this hurts, you know, what do I do with this pain? And so it kind of freaked me out. <laughs> so I started, I started studying and, and I came across this passage in Psalm. It's in, it's, it's in several different places in, throughout the Bible. And it says that Jesus was the stone that the builders rejected. Mm. And I thought, oh my gosh. Jesus was rejected in the same way that we were. Jesus was rejected by everybody before he was even born. There was no room at the end. Sorry, rejected. He grew up in a state of rejection. The Pharisees rejected him. The Sadducees rejected him. The Jews rejected him. The Gentiles rejected him. His own disciples rejected him. And so, and then, and then that verse goes on to say that stone of rejection became the cornerstone and back then, cornerstones were a crucial part of a structure. Like right now, nowadays, we pour stem walls, but they had to go out into a rock quarry and find the cornerstone. And what they're saying is that the, the Sadducees and the, and the Pharisees went out into this rock quarry looking for the Messiah, and Jesus was the Messiah that they rejected. They said, this is not the Messiah. And so that rejection actually became the cornerstone. And so if we'll allow God to, if we'll take him to our place of pain, identify the rejection, identify the lie that we came into agreement with, with the enemy and take it and lay it, lay it down at the foot of the cross. It's actually not a stone. It's a heavy stone. It's not a stone that we're meant to carry around. It's too heavy. You can't carry it. You can't carry the pain. It's too heavy. If we'll lay it down, it can actually become something that God could build something beautiful on. If we will just lay it down God will make it into a testimony that will bless others. So that was the epiphany for me, was coming to the understanding that Jesus experienced the same rejection, if not more, and he used it to build something. In Ephesians chapter four, it it talks about this, and it says it became the cornerstone on the house that we build, that the, the church was built on this cornerstone of rejection. So if Jesus built the house on reject on the stone of rejection, what makes us think that what God's trying to build in us isn't going to involve overcoming rejection? It's just going to be a part of it. So. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, and I love that because then it normalizes it. And I mean that in a good way of sometimes I feel like the enemy isolates us and says, you're the only one you're who's dealt with one. rejection. You know, you're all by yourself in this one. It's like, no, yep. no, even Jesus well, himself. What, you know, you're, you're so right. That's what Elijah told God. Remember when Elijah ran down off Mount Carmel and he goes to the mouth of the cave and the, the earthquake comes, and the fire comes and the wind comes and, and Elisha cries out to God and says, I'm the only one left, you know, God took, I mean, the enemy took him to this place of isolation where he felt like he was the only one suffering. And, you know, Hagar had the same pain when she couldn't get pregnant. She ran into the wilderness and she said, I'm all alone. And and God came down to Hagar to say, I'm the God who sees you. And she says, I now see that you see me. Mm. <laughs> so it's so true. The enemy wants to isolate us and make us think we're the only one that's feeling this pain. Yeah. And it's also interesting. You think about it, that they rolled the stone away and found that Jesus wasn't there anymore. Anyway, there's a lot of stone symbolism in the Bible, so I love that. I'm going to have to yeah. do a little research on that. Okay, so also on this topic of rejection, you talk about in your book about social media and mm-hmm. the how people are even more vulnerable to rejection be, because yeah. of it. How, how do you see social media influencing this area? Yeah, so, so I have a 13-year-old daughter, so we're in the middle of this. She is obsessed with wanting social media, and we're obsessed with keeping it as far away from her as possible for as long as possible. It's, it's a modern day form of rejection. You know, if you've ever, it's, it, texting can be like this too. You know, you, you text somebody and you're waiting on them to reply and you even see the bubbles pop up that they're replying and then the bubbles go away and you're like, wait a minute, you're not gonna reply. But you know, you can post this post, pouring out your heart over something and get four likes. That's a form of rejection. You can you can reach out to somebody, you can DM somebody and not get a reply. That's rejection. And so rejection comes in all forms, in all scales. It can be as, as deep and as difficult as a, an abusive situation. It can be as simple as a not return phone call. It's rejection. And so for me, it's become alert and just in the knowing that this is a tool of the enemy. The rejection is a tool of the enemy. And if I'll recognize it for what it is, when it happens, then I'm avoiding that seed from taking root in my heart. So it's a matter of just saying, you know what? I recognize that rejection is a tool of the enemy. And so I have to have my shield of faith, right? We Ephesians six, we have to have the weapons of our warfare ready when, when rejection comes, because we know that it's coming, it's coming. We're going to be rejected. So. Yeah. And you know what? I, I have a 13 year old as well. So I, I girl and I get exactly where you're coming from yeah and you know what I it's interesting you know raising a teen it also reveals things in my heart because you know when I see her walk through rejection I'm like ooh, yes mom's kind of like right there with you you know and it it really makes me dig deep even as a parent because I go okay and this is the thing you know I just really want to encourage people to get your book, and here's why. I rarely say this on a podcast, but I am a big fan of doing the deep work if, if for yourself, but also for the generations that are gonna follow. So whenever I see my daughter struggling with the same things that I'm struggling with, I'm going, okay, I can either keep 
but doing exactly like we were talking about earlier, just seeking things that will like ease the pain and, you know, maybe die down for a little bit, or I can go ahead and do the deep work and say, you know what, this stops with my generation. You know, we're, we're cutting this off here. I'm not passing this on to my girls. And, and that's been, you know, really, in fact, whenever I first started grad school, things got worse before they got better in our household, you know, because the Lord was bringing things up and my husband's like, whoa, what's happening? And I'm like, I don't know, we have to write these process papers and all this stuff's coming up, you know, and it was ugly. And I, but I'm so much healthier now on the other side of it. So I just want to encourage people that don't be afraid of to do that hard work. Like it's hard work. There's no sugarcoating it, but it's so the, the end result is just so beautiful. So that's my little soapbox moment for you. Rachel, that's so, so good. You're right, because whenever circumstances come our way is when we're really going to find out what's in us. You yeah. know, it's like if you squeeze a tube of toothpaste, you, you'll figure out what's inside of it pretty quick. Yeah. And, uh, and so sometimes, you know, God reveals our pain through pressure, you know, and so you're, you're having a, a tough day at work, you're trying to raise a teenager, you have, you know, a circumstance at home, you get a flat tire in your car, or whatever this situation is, Many times it's in those pressure points that God, it, it's really that the Holy Spirit is tapping you on the shoulder saying, hey, I'm trying to get your attention. There's something down there in your heart that I want to deal with. And really it's a matter of us trusting the Lord enough to say, to, to see him as the great physician, you know, to go back to the circumcision analogy, which is a super awkward analogy. Imagine grown men walking up to Joshua, you know, that takes, oh my Lord, how embarrassing that would be. I have to expose myself in front of a grown man, it's painful, it hurts. Now think about the symbolism of that with our heart, that God comes to circumcise our hearts. It's painful, it's embarrassing. It, I have to expose myself, I have to spo- expose the vulnerabilities in my heart that I've hidden forever. And so it's a painful process, it's not fun. It's not, it's, it, this is not a fun process. Yeah, but you know what? It's so fruitful. Yeah. And and it also deepens your relationships with other people because one thing I've learned, the more free I get, I realize it's also me taking down walls between you and other people. Cause it, I, I imagine all this, these shame things, you know, if you and I were in the same room together, it's like, they're all in between you and me. And so then I'm sitting there wondering, well, why can't I get closer to those friends in my life? And it's like, well, you kind of have all this stuff, you know, already right there in front of you, even before the relationship began, you know? And think about, even think about the symbolism of that. So they, they were going to leave the banks of the Jordan River and go to Jericho and march around the walls of Jericho. And what happened? The walls come crumbling down, right? Yeah. Before God ever crumbled the walls of Jericho, he crumbled the walls of their heart first. On wow. the banks of the Jordan River, he first addressed the walls in their heart. And so if you have friends because we can help other people get through this. This book isn't just for people in pain. It's for people who are trying to help others go through pain because, you know, we all have friends that we, we talk about a certain topic or a certain person and we see the walls go up immediately. They're like, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to, I don't want to go back to that time in my life. I don't want to talk about that person. They hurt me. What you're seeing is the stench behind the stone. You've walked up to the stone and you've pulled back the, you've rolled the stone away just enough for that stench to come out and it's painful and it hurts and it conjures up all the, imagine how Mary and Martha felt walking up to the tomb that day. That's the pain, that's the place of pain. That's the place where they were disappointed and frustrated. That place symbolized everything about the situation that hurt. And Jesus said, I want you to take me, I want you to take me there. 
So he didn't force them to. He said, will you escort me to your place of pain? He made them do all the work. So he made, he made them take him to the place of pain. And then he says, you roll the stone away. I'd be like, what? Jesus, you're Jesus. Like you could roll the stone away without touching it. He made them expose the place of pain. And the beauty of it is they did what they could do. And then Jesus did what they could not do. Mm-hmm. Only Jesus could resurrect the dead thing, but they could expose the dead thing. And so it's a beautiful picture of how Jesus wants us to take him to our place of pain and go to the vulnerable place, go to the painful place, and then he'll do all the heavy lifting. Yeah, that's such good news. That's such good news because yeah, yeah. our, our job is just a decision really to say, okay, yes. yeah, I would like I yeah. would like to reveal this so you can heal it. I also want to repeat what you said because it was so powerful. Before he crumbled the walls of Jericho, he crumbled the walls of their heart. That's really powerful. That's, you have a lot of great one-liners. Uh, okay, so <laughs> you can tell you're a pastor. Um, yeah, and it's in the book, so I'm not really coming up with these on the fly. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. Well, I feel a little better. I'm like, man, he just is popping these out smart. left and right, no, you know? <laughs> that's smart. I've studied it for years. But I'm not that smart. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about the weapons of war. You touched on this earlier. You yeah. talk about the torch, the trumpet, and the tongue. Can we, can we hear about those some more? Yeah. So the the last chapter talks about how do I, what's my greatest weapon, you know, in this battle, I'm fighting a battle. What's my greatest weapon. And one of my favorite stories in the Bible, second Chronicles chapter 20, when the enemy comes against Jehoshaphat and it says that they're, there's no way they're going to win. It's like they're out. There's a vast army, there's numbers, the sands on the sea. And Jehoshaphat's first response is not to panic. It's not to fear. It says that he fell to his knees and prayed. And he, he, he commanded the whole nation to fast, which is so cool. So before he ever wars in the natural, he wars in the spirit. And I think that's important. That's, that's the first step. So then he decides that the Lord comes to him and gives him sp- specific instructions. So then he sends out the warriors. He says, I want the worshipers to go on the front lines. Right? So I want the worshipers to go out in front. And so I love this idea because it's, it's, it's talking about they, had, they didn't have a sword. They didn't, they weren't even, can you imagine like the king coming up to you and say, Hey, guess what? You're on the worship team of our army army (laughs) and you're going out on the front lines. And my response would be like, okay, cool. Where's my sword? And the enemy would like, the the king's like, no, you you just sing. (laughs) What? Are you kidding me? And so their worship, they led with their worship. And I bring up this idea in the book that their worship became their warship, you know, that that was that became the thing that defeated the enemy was our ability to go into battle, uh, leading with our voice and leading with our praise. And the torch is this idea of the light, you know, the, they carry the light. It's, 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 it's Christ and the trumpet, you know, the trumpet was this, um, the trumpet back in those days was a rally. It was for us to unite. So anytime the trumpet blew, they knew that we're going to come together for something. We're going to come together for a, a, a gathering, we're going to come together to fight. We're going to come together to, to fellowship. And so it's this, this coming together to worship, you know, I'm coming together to unite. Like there's a unitedness about it. So I kind of conclude the book by going through, you know, some practical stuff. I don't want to just write a book with like all these symbolisms and cool little symbolisms. What do I do? Like, what are some practical things I can do? It's just the idea of going through of worshiping, you know, when you're at your lowest, you're the least likely to pray and worship and read the Bible because you're just low. As your faith falls, so does everything else. So it's just kind of some some process to go through 
towards the end of the book to yeah. worship in the process. Yeah. Have you ever been in a point of that in your own life where you're just so low that it's hard to worship? Oh my gosh. So, so my, my venture into ministry was absolutely crazy. So I thought higher ed was my life. I got all the degrees needed to do so. I wanted to be a college president. And then in 2011, God radically, I can't go into the details. I don't, we don't have time called me into ministry, like to leave a VP position at the university and become a campus pastor at a church. So it was like a demotion, a pay decrease. And, and I just felt very strongly that God was challenging me to do it. So I did it. And it was at the church I attended. I just, I was a greeter, you know, I just, I attended this church. So I did that for three years in 2014. It was a, it's a, it's a large church of multiple campuses in Oklahoma city at the end of three years, uh, three years later, the, the senior pastor, the founding pastor of this 20 year old church had a moral failure. So very long story short, I became the next senior pastor. So I, I went from higher ed to campus pastor to senior pastor of a mega church, like in three years. I'd never pastored, I'd never preached, I'd never done anything of the nature. And leading through the turmoil of that was the hardest, darkest, most difficult days of my life, my wife and I. I mean, it was just it was just so challenging to lead people to a place that I had never even been there myself. And that must how Joshua must have felt, right? Joshua leads these people into the promised land. Well, he's never been to the promised land before. Moses saw further than he would go. So Moses stood up on Mount Nebo and looked into the promised land so he could see further than he would ever go. But Joshua went further than he would ever see. And that's really hard to, to go further than you can see. And so it was just a really challenging time in my life where I just had to really lean in and worship when I didn't feel like worshiping, you know? So that would, that would probably be the best example for me. Yeah. Well, I just love that you shared that because I think that means a lot to readers when they know that the person writing a book, they've been there, you know, like they've been in the trenches and they've, they're not, you're not just saying this from up on top of a mountaintop yelling down at other, you know, you're like, I've been there. This is what y'all should do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, So that's so good. All right. Well, we are coming to the end of our conversation. Dr. Chastain, I would love for you to tell everybody where can they connect with you? Also, where can they get the book? Awesome. So yeah, you can connect with me on Instagram. I'm on Instagram, John Chastain, J-O-N, no H, C-H-A-S-T-E-E-N. That's probably the place I'm the most prominent. I don't do Twitter. Uh, I don't, I'm not big on Facebook. The university's website is tku.edu. And the church's website is victory.church. And so both those websites would give ways to get connected and, and those sort of things. So those are probably the, the easiest ways to connect. Awesome. And then is the book going to be available anywhere you can get books? Yeah. It, you know, especially during the, the COVID season, you know, it's it probably Amazon's probably the best place to do it. Yeah. But it'll be, you know, wherever books are sold. Yeah. It, it launches September 1st and hope it blesses people. Hope it encourages people. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again for taking the time to come on today. Oh, thank you. I, I could. You're you're such a, a joy to talk to, and and like I said at the beginning, we're we're proud of you. We're excited for. We're honored that somebody of your caliber would be at the King's University, and and so it's been such a joy to be on the podcast with you. Thanks for having me. Did anybody else shout some yeses and amens during that interview? I know I did. I'm over here like trying to be silent whenever I'm listening to the guests talk, and I feel like I'm like mouthing the yes. Oh my goodness, preach! It was so good. 
And hey, I know it's not easy to do the hard work of digging deep into our hearts, but it is always so worth it. So lean into this conversation that we had today and please grab a copy of Dr. Chastine's book, Half the Battle. I have that book. It is very good. I know I keep saying that, but I I mean it. I want you guys to please get that in your hands. It's a powerful resource. Don't forget to enter giveaways of guest books. Every week we give away guest copy books. So please don't miss out on that. All you have to do is text the phrase Real Talk Giveaway, that's all one word, to the number 44222 right there on your cell phone. Or you can sign up directly on my website at rachelgilbert.com. If you're on that Joymail newsletter, all of you are also entered every single week to enter. Alrighty, friends, that's all that we have for today. I pray this episode brought you one step closer to getting real, living free, and pursuing your God-given dreams. I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.